0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ephesians 3.20, Zach, this is the last one, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding Abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And this will conclude this evening our 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 verses here in Ephesians 3. For a little while I'd like to teach along these lines. Glory in the church. Glory in the church let's pray together tonight if you will father i come to you this evening god i'm thankful lord jesus for being here again in your house god being with your people lord as we stood here and we lifted our voices and our hands in worship to you god and now we come lord jesus to god the teaching of your word and i know god that our lives can be challenged our lives lord jesus can be encouraged Lord, by the scriptures I pray, O oh Lord, enlighten us tonight, God, with these things. Help us to learn, give us knowledge, give us understanding. Let your anointing touch our lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church, say amen. You may be seated this evening. You may be seated. I'm going to start now with verse 14, and I'll just read on through to 19 to give us the full setting uh, from which we are coming this evening. For this cause... It's been a couple of weeks, I understand, but for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, and to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be enrooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. A couple weeks ago we spoke about Paul and I told you how I was so appreciative of him because he started a certain line of thought the first verse of Ephesians 3, and then kind of went on a tangent, if you remember from a couple weeks ago. And so uh, last time that we met together, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the tangent uh, that he went on and all the uh, information and what we learned in that. We are now at verse number 14 where he's picking back up on where he left off in verse number 1. And he uses some of the same uh, phraseology. He starts this verse the same as he starts verse 1, and he says, for this cause. Now, I'm just provoking our minds because I know we've ate, slept, and went to work for several days since the last time that we met together on this. For what cause? It is that cause he is speaking of that, uh, that was recorded in Ephesians chapter number 2. Uh, for the cause that those Gentiles who were known as the uncircumcised that were far and the Jews who were known as the circumcised who were near, that both of them have been brought nigh and even given access, amen, to uh, the church, to Christ by the blood of Jesus Christ. For that cause that now these two parties that at one time had been separate. Entities, uh, even at most, would have nothing to do with each other, now are in one household, one building, the Bible says, one habitation for God. And that's known and identified and labeled as the church. Paul says, for that cause, for that cause of that great culmination of these people together as one building unto the Lord, he says, I bow my knees unto the Father. Paul says, because of all that, now I go to God in prayer. And he says, I have a prayer for uh, this this church of new believers. Man, he is an amazing person overall, because we find Paul who said, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was really a prisoner in Rome. We find that he's in prison and now he's bowing his knees in prison and he's praying. That pair is a notable trait. Amen. For the Apostle Paul. Because it's not just here that's recorded. We have other and various episodes throughout the scripture that Paul's in prison, and you know what he oftentimes does when he's in prison? He prays. I tell you what, that he, if he's around, we need to give him a slap on the back. That here's a man that finds himself incarcerated and yet he still prays. And without these scriptures, yet we had them, but without them, one might draw assumptions and presumption about, well, the Apostle Paul probably was praying about his own deliverance, but that's not what's flowing over his lips right here. He's not praying, oh Lord, deliver me, or Lord, get me out of this mess, or get me out of this cell. That's not what Paul is praying about. Instead, he's praying for the church. He's praying for those early believers. And his prayer in essence is this Lord, let the church grow in Christ. That is a notable prayer. Let the church grow. I think that would be the prayer even of the modern day apostles of our day, or even of us as saints, God. Let the church grow. Now, I'm not, just, I'm not speaking in, in, in essence concerning numbers. I'm speaking in essence of maturity. Let the church grow in Christ. Paul was praying for their spiritual maturity, that they may be fully conformed to Jesus Christ. If you'll remember, uh, you might not be able to remember this long, but all the way back in lesson number one, do you remember what the church was predestined for, what the plan that The church is predestined with a plan, and the plan was this, that they might be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ, that they might become adopted children of Jesus Christ. That was the plan that God had for His church. That was the predefined, preordered plan. And Paul just steps in a place here, and he says, I know what God's plan is for His church. His plan is for them to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his plan for his church. So I'm going to pray according to his will. And I'm going to, God, if that's your plan, then I'm going to pray, God, make the church grow and mature and grow up in Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. He understood the power of praying what God had promised, amen, in the life of the church. So he's praying according to his will. He's praying that God's purpose and God's plan for the church would be performed just as he said. This is a common thing uh, throughout Scripture. That God sometimes would promise something and then people would pray whatever the Lord said would happen or could happen. God promised in the Old Testament Scripture to restore the Jews to the promised land after a 70-year uh, time period of Babylonian captivity. And we see in the, in the books of the Bible of both Daniel and Nehemiah that two people, Daniel and Nehemiah, both of them turned that promise that God made to His people into a prayer. In the book of Daniel, Daniel's praying, God, let the 70 years in, let us be released to go back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah, he's praying, God, let that set, what are they doing? They're praying what God already said he would do. They're just praying, God, so let it be. Amen, Amen, Lord, so let it be. But then after, look, after 70 years captivity took place in the Old Testament Scripture, and whenever that door was open and they were released so that they might go back uh, to Jerusalem, the Jews could go back to Jerusalem, there were still some Jews that remained in Babylon. Was not due to the promise failing. Those people that were still yet in Babylon, when the Lord says, I'm opening the door for you to go back to the promised land, there's still some that remain. But that was not due to the promise failing. It's because they chose, some people chose, to stay in Babylon rather than to go to Jerusalem. Spiritual maturity in the life, our lives, the life of the Christian, though that is the predefined plan for the church, although that's the purpose for the church, Amen. if it doesn't happen in an individual's life, that's not because God's promise wasn't good. Or God's plan wasn't good. Quite possibly, it may because we've become a part of something besides the church. Because the purpose and the plan for the church, those that are in Christ, is that they'll grow in Christ. And if there's that growth taking place in some aspects of people's lives, they can't shake a fist at God and said you didn't keep your promise. God doesn't lie. If he says He'll do it, He'll do it. That's not where the problem is. The problem is, you may have separated yourself from the church. In Esther 4, Mordecai plainly told Esther, he said, Esther, he said, God's going to give deliverance unto the Jews. He's going to do it. He's going to bring deliverance to the Jewish people, and it's going to happen. And he said, "You really need to go into the king here, and you need to make a plea." She says, "Hey, if, you know, there's a chance that I may perish. There's a chance that there may be some evil that come up on me." He said, "That's all right." He says, "God's still going to bring deliverance to the Jews, but you and your father's house, how so it's not going to happen for you." What was you saying, Mordecai? You saying deliverance is going to happen? It's going to come. It's the plan and the purpose of God. He says, "I'm just saying, do you want to be a part of it or not?" Amen. Do you want to be a part of the purpose or the plan of God? If so, you've got to stay where you are. You've got to do what you do. The climax of Paul's prayer is seen in verse number 19. Because as he's praying in verse number 19, he prays this. That they might be filled with all the fullness of God. That they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Yet in order to get there... In order to get filled with all the fullness of God, there is a series of progressive steps. There is a series of disciplines that the church, even the early church here, had to go through. And the first thing then that we see in verse number 16 that the Apostle Paul asked for in his prayer for the church was this He said, God, He said, I want you to strengthen them. He asked that the Spirit that they, would, that they received into their life because they're new believers, they received the Spirit. He says, I'm asking that that Spirit that they receive will continue to strengthen them. But, but folks, here's, here's the deal. When Paul prayed that God would strengthen the early church, in that prayer, he just got for them a membership in God's gym. He prayed that he would strengthen the early church. He, he just purchased, if you will, a membership in God's gym with their own personal trainer. I'll ask you a question tonight, just very simple and basic: How does the natural bodybuilder become stronger? How does a natural bodybuilder become stronger? Just a basic knowledge tells me this: He must lift weights regularly. And he must increase the amount of weight that he lifts periodically. And he must change his eating habits. His diet must accommodate his purpose. Paul's praying, God, the plan is for you to grow up in them and that they would grow up in you. And so God, I'm praying that you would strengthen them. Whenever that happened says, here's a gym membership then. Because in order for God to strengthen his church, they're going to have to lift some weights regularly. In order for God to strengthen the church, they're even going to have to increase the weight that they lift. Periodically. I have people in this place that's well acquainted with what I'm talking about. Hardships, trial, difficulty. God does not make his church strong by keeping her from suffering. He makes his church strong by bringing them through suffering. The bodybuilder does not come strong by just hanging out at the gym. He becomes strong because he puts weight on a bar. He lifts it time and time again. And whenever that becomes somewhat easy, he puts more weight on there. Someone say amen. You say, Brother McGee, I don't know about all this stuff that's happened in my life. God is just strengthening His church. God is just strengthening his church. He's bringing them through some suffering. He's bringing them through some difficulties. And yes, sometimes they're numerous and sometimes they even intensify. Amen. But what he is doing ultimately is strengthening his church. Now, I understand because people have approached with this before. And you hear, well, you know, if you're going through problems, okay, God strengthened this church. Others people preach, well, if you go through problems, well, it's because you're not doing something right and the Lord's trying to get you in line. And I agree that there are different venues in Scripture that that differs. And sometimes you need to sit down in the midst of your suffering and ask yourself, why am I here? Am I here by virtue that God's trying to strengthen me? Or am I here because there are some things in my life that need to be stamped out of me? You... you, so, so d- d- please don't misinterpret what I'm saying today because I know we can get confused sometimes because people say this and people say that. Uh, what you got to do is come to a place of estimation of the Scripture for yourself and your circumstances decide, why am I here? Because this one person might be going through it for this reason, that one might be going through it for, for that reason, but you need to examine yourself and say, why am I here? Why am I going through this? If it's God strength in me, then I'm going to say, okay, God, I'm going to push with all of my, my might and all of my strength because I know you're making me stronger through this. But God, if I'm here because I need to rethink, turn something around, turn something over, then help me to come to the awareness of that sooner rather than later. Let me make it right. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says be sober, be diligent, Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same or I say same knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Same afflictions. In other words, some of the same junk you deal with, those that are in the world deal with. Same afflictions. But, verse 10, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, look what He does, make you perfect, which basically means complete or whole, establish, strengthen, and saddle you so there's people in the church people out of the world that are suffering the same afflictions the very same but the difference is the God of grace and all glory for your life if this is the reason you're here for your life whenever you went through that you're going to be stronger than you were before you're going to be more established than you were before you're going to be more settled than you were before You're going to be more complete than you were before. What's happening? You're growing in Christ, and Christ is growing in you. Some things are becoming a little bit more certain, a little bit more sure. But tonight, listen well. So do not trade this for out there because you're going to suffer the very same. Don't pray for what you experience in here or out there because the same afflictions are going to meet you out there as they do in here. But the difference is this. After you suffered a little while here, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be more settled. You're going to be more established. Amen. sir. Paul's prayer, the church, be strengthened with might or literally with power, or with ability. By how? His spirit. In, everybody say, the inner man. The inner man. man. Paul, I believe, has a true, it's not a secret, but just a true revelation here. That Paul's prayer wasn't for the outer man. It was for the inner man. And oftentimes I find us as Christians spend more time praying about outer man things than we do inner man things. Things that pertain to the outer man more than we do the inner man. But Paul says if you want them to grow up as the church and grow up in Christ, slide over from praying about the outer man, the things that pertain to the outer man, and start praying about the inner man. Because he knew a grand secret. The stronger the inner man is, the stronger the outer man is going to be. If I can put some focus and attention there, a byproduct of that is it's going to impact and affect the outer man. The inner man, in many ways, if we talk about the inner man, you're talking about our soul and our spirit. You're talking about the seat of our will, if you, if you will, there we go. am uh, talking about the seat of our will. That inner man needs strengthened. It needs the might of the Spirit of the Lord to strengthen it. Because, and you've heard this said perhaps before, that a person may have some convictions in their life, a man just might have some very strong convictions, but if they don't have a strong will to enforce those convictions, uh huh. Then what good are the convictions to begin with? You got to have a strong will to somehow put to practice your strong convictions. So he says, "I'm praying for the inner man." Now note what the scripture says here, and he, here's the good of wordiness of, of Paul. He goes on with verse 17. The word that you might—it's even translated the Greek in order that, if that helps anybody—to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, verse 17. In order that. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, Paul is not talking about an initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. He's already talking to those type of people right here. He's already talking to Jews and Gentiles who are in Christ. They are the church right here. So he's not talking about that. As a matter of fact, the word dwell comes from two Greek words. One means down. The other means to reside or dwell in a house. He's not talking about this first experience. These are already Jews and Gentiles in the church. But what he is saying by using this particular word is that Christ should be, listen very clearly, comfortable in your hearts. He should be at home. He should be settled down in your heart. Has anybody ever had the experience of someone outside of your immediate family in your house? Nobody. Y'all don't have anybody in your house. Okay. You know, it's common during their stay sometimes I have somebody in my house that's never been there, normally never been there. You know, something that's common that we say. What do we say? Does anybody know? I've heard it a thousand times. We had a lot of people that wasn't family in our house. I guarantee you. And we've, I've heard it said as a child growing up, make yourself at home. Because just because somebody's in our house doesn't necessarily mean they're comfortable in our house. Although these Jews and Gentiles that, that necessitated, if you will, the church we're filled with the Spirit of God, didn't mean that he was totally relaxed and totally comfortable 100% in that living experience of their heart. He says, I want the church to be strengthened with the the, the ability or the might by the Spirit. And so I need need the Lord to come in and be able to be comfortable here in this, this heart and comfortable here in this house. Amen. And sometimes, in order for Him to get comfortable in our lives, He puts us through the trial. He puts us through the testing because He wants to ensure that we're not a fly by night right. Christian. We're not just, you know, Johnny come lately or a fly by night Christian, you know, because if you can go through the strengthening process of the trial and the strengthening process of the suffering, you might start to feel a little bit more comfortable that, you know, they're not going to be here today and gone tomorrow. I might feel a little bit more comfortable, if you will, in the house. You know, there's many times, I do this sometimes whenever I pray. and uh, So you just get a little window into me in prayer sometimes. Sometimes whenever I pray, I tell God, God, I do tell Him this, I say, God, I want you to be comfortable in your own house. Whenever I say that, Brother Fred, I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about this temple, which is is the house of the Lord. And I tell God, God, I want you to be comfortable in your own house. I want you to feel comfortable in me. I want you to feel comfortable in our services. I want you to feel comfortable in our singing and in our teaching and in our preaching and whatever happens around here. I want you to feel, I don't want you to cringe. Now here, here is the thing, folks: whenever the guest is in my home and I tell them, "Make yourself at home, just get comfortable. Their comfort sometimes might make me uncomfortable. Make yourself a home area, boy. All righty. S- slips his shoes off, you know, props them up in the couch someone's over there going for instance if you was at my grandma Weisenberger's and you entered that house with shoes on your feet you was making yourself a home but you was making her very uncomfortable because the moment your foot entered the air across that threshold your shoes better come off you didn't walk in that house with your shoes on you didn't put your feet up in the couch even if you had your shoes off Someone may be making themselves comfortable, but it may make you uncomfortable. So if you want God to be comfortable in this house, you're going to have to somehow endure some times of being uncomfortable yourself. Because everything he does or desires to do is going to rub you sometimes just a little wrong. And it isn't necessarily what you would normally like to have done in your life. But if you want him to be comfortable, you're going to have to learn how to become uncomfortable. Maybe after a while you'll <laughs> you just bring two lives together, a man and a woman, and you'll find different comfort levels. Uh-huh. And some of those may never change, but some of them over time there might be some. Compromises made and one becomes more comfortable with how the other is comfortable. Paul's saying that you need God in your life. He's going to come in. He needs to dwell there, though he needs to be comfortable. And in order for him to be comfortable, it's going to make you uncomfortable, buddy. But somewhere along the line, hopefully you can get to a place that that doesn't bother you anymore. Is anybody following the analogy that's being portrayed here this evening? So I, I want God to feel like He can do what God wants to do. Amen. There is no worse feeling than being in a home that you know that you're not... It's rigid. You know, have your pinky up whenever you're drinking a glass of tea. Do the silverware from the outside all the way toward the plate in. I evangelize, folks. Listen to me. There's no worse feeling than being in a home that... They don't want you to be comfortable but i don't want god to feel like in my life or in the life of this church that he can't do what he would do because it's not exactly how i'd want him to operate around here how i'd want him to operate in my life i want him to be himself without any restrictions without any limitations even if it makes Paul McGee feel uncomfortable Paul then was praying then a very adamant prayer that the comfort of the Lord was more important than the comfort of the church people Amen the comfort of the Lord the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 30 and I'll be mindful of your time I won't go over 45 tonight mark my words you all look at me stunned. I told the church that I was at over this weekend, I stood up and I said, I said, I'm about ready to close. I said, give me 5, 10, 15 more minutes. They all laughed. I said, my church back home doesn't laugh when I say that. <laughs> Ephesians 4 and verse number 30. The Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, Whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption and grief. The word grieve in the Greek means this offend or to make one uneasy. Do not in other words, do not offend the Holy Spirit of God. Do not make uneasy the Holy Spirit of God that resides inside of you, that resides it. Don't make it don't make it uncomfortable. Don't make God's spirit uncomfortable in your service, in your preaching, in your teaching, in your life, the way that you conduct yourself. Don't live your life in such a way you're making the one that's inside of you uncomfortable. Because he needs to dwell there. He needs to settle down there. He needs to feel at home there. Going on with, with verse number 17. He said that ye being rooted and grounded in love. This is not something that is happening. This is something that should have already happened. You're rooted. It's it's where you get your nourishment. It's where you get your your stability. You're grounded. Again, some stability. Uh, You're rooted and grounded in what? In love. This is the basic building block of our Christian life and the life of church. It is the building block of love. If we want to aspire to anything, aspire to love. Apostle Paul was telling some of the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 12, he was speaking to the church about differing gifts. He was talking to them about gifts of the Spirit. He talked to them about the various uh, members of the body of Christ. He listed some of the functions of the church about prophets and apostles and gifts of helps and governments and workers and teachers, all these things, etc., amen, that they had. And whenever he sums up the chapter about all these different gifts Gifts that a person could aspire after. He reaches though for a little bit something more that's foundational in First Corinthians 12, 31, the very last verse of that chapter. He says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Yes, but look now, and he says, and yet shew I unto you a more excellent way. Man, I spoke about prophesying tongues and interpretation. Helps governments, teachers, pastors, everybody's going, oh, yeah, man. Man, those are some gifts right there. Woo. Yeah, to get used in that and be, "Mm," just be, woo. Yeah, to empower, prophesy. Man, just to be able to tell people, that's awesome. Cover those best gifts. Paul says, you do that. He says, but I show you a more excellent way. He just spoke about all this, and then he says, I'm going to show you. Something better than all these, man, profound gifts yeah he goes on then to first corinthians chapter 13 and he starts talking about you can speak with tongues but if you don't have charity or love no profit he said you can prophesy all day long but if you don't have charity or love no profit you can give all your money to the poor give give gift to all you want you got a gift spiritual gift of giving that's awesome but if you don't have charity or love no profit What are you saying, Paul? He's saying don't measure, your, don't measure your maturity by your gift. Measure your maturity by your fruit. Mm-hmm. Don't measure it by how much you can prophesy and you, you can give tongues an interpretation and interpretation and how you can have gifts of healing. Don't measure your spiritual maturity about that. Measure your maturity about love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering meekness. Don't measure it by your gifts. Measure it by your fruit. Uh huh. Rooted and grounded in love. That's the stabilizing factor. That's what we're. That's where we draw our nourishment from. Right there in that fruit, that love. He says you may aspire all these things. Get the best ones. But the tree's going to fall over. The building's not going to remain unless the roots and the foundation our love you know even if we just look in the natural you, sometimes you see these tall you may have seen it sometimes after uh, some heavy winds or fierce winds might be some very tall stately trees that appear very stately very tall very rigid very stout above the surface sometimes even some moderate winds have uprooted such trees and when that happens you see that they had a very shallow very small Root system that was below the surface, and the root system was insufficient to be able to take care of such a stately tree. As us as individuals, tonight the height that we that we somehow ascend before men better be supported by some unseen depths, rooted and grounded in love. Paul says a mature Christian, a mature church, they're rooted and grounded right there in love. It's not in their gifts of giving and miracles and signs and wonders, tongues and interpretation and prophesying. It's love. So the glory of the church, the glory in the church, might I say, is that group of people that have made God comfortable in their lives, and that have been strengthened sometimes by suffering and trial, and they're sticking with it, they're still there. But they've made God comfortable in their lives to the extent that the love that He has shown toward them has been expressed to them, to somebody else. Jesus spoke concerning His disciples of John thirteen thirty five. He said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He's saying the spiritual maturity of the church is whenever you can look at the church and they don't just have a love to God, but they have a love for each other within the church. And not just that they have a love for each other within the church, but they have a love for those outside of the church. He says that shows forth a very mature group of people in congregation the apostle paul was dealing with a lot of immature churches in the new testament scripture because you see fightings bickering divisions all among them what was lacking there's a lot of love that was lacking but we better be thankful to god for all those problems because we would miss out on most of the new testament scripture because most of the new testament scriptures wrote about all the problems in the churches He wouldn't have no material to write about, you know, didn't have the problems to write about. I understand him, I really do. Amen. That's the way it is sometimes. Just wouldn't have nothing to report if you didn't have some bad report, you know. He goes on, and Paul says, Paul says, I want the church. Look at this. Let me find the verse. In verse number 19, he talks about being able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth the length the depth the height and there's people that really interpret that a lot of places i'm just think that paul's trying to convey how vast the love of god is in verse 19 to say and to know the love of christ which passeth knowledge now here's a paradox right here i want you to know the love of christ but it passeth knowledge <laughs> know the love of christ but the word know of actually in the new testament scripture is defined as such i want them to feel or experience the love of christ which is past knowledge. So here is the the culmination of all things. i got some minutes here. The end result that Paul was praying for the strength for the people, them continuing with the indwelling of the Spirit, being rooted and grounded there in that love, knowing not just that, but also the love of Christ, is so that the church collectively and individually may be filled with all fullness of God. Everybody say filled. Filled. Literally means to be dominated or total control. He says the very focus of my prayer and the progression of all these disciplines is that ultimately the church would mature to a place that she would be dominated and totally controlled with all fullness of God. A mouthful. I want them to be dominated by God's Spirit. You know what a mature you know what a mature individual is in Christ? It's whenever Christ is dominating their speech, their actions, their conversation, their whereabouts, their thoughts. You know what a spiritual church is? Is that when we're in church, he's controlling and dominating what happens when we come here. Yes. It's whenever he speaks and says, Pat, I want you to jump, that Pat, without fail, just. And then he speaks, Tyler, run, that he runs. And when he says, Sister Craig, I need you to get there 30 minutes earlier than you normally get because I want you to pray that much longer in the prayer room, that without hesitation, I'm there, God. Uh huh. He dominates. He controls. You know, we used to say, well, man, we're up here preaching sometimes. Woo, I tell you what, I, boy, the Lord, oh, boy, the Lord just took control of this. Who had control of it before God did? Well, God really took control tonight. Well, what does He do every other service night? Is He dominating? Is he taking control? Are we spiritual mature that we're letting him have his way rather than us having our way, or does that make us uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. Paul says, "You got the spirit of God, but I want that thing to grow up inside of you till you're dominated and controlled with all the fullness of God in your life." And then we go to Ephesians three twenty. Bishop loves this verse one of his favorite verses now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us but listen folks I'm not here to cut down any bells tonight but I might we all times grab this one isolated verse use it for our purpose and we don't view it through the context of the scripture in which it sets unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Listen to me very carefully. The qualifier for all this taking place and all this happening, it's not according to the power that is in us. It's according to the power worketh in us. Because I have oftentimes seen through the expanse of Scripture that Jesus and even God's Spirit has been many places but was not suffered to work. mm mm-hmm. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 13, Yea, before the day was, I am he, speaking of God, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work. And who shall let it? A present God, even able and willing to work. But that is about whether or not you allow him to be comfortable and you to become uncomfortable. Listen, the presence of God alone doesn't constitute him doing anything. The presence of God means the ability is there. Jesus returned to his own country during his public ministry. He goes to his own country. However, a number of mighty works were not accomplished there, they were limited. The limitation was not due to him. The limitation was due to them, the people. Uh-huh. Someone we'll say, uh-huh. So whenever we go spouting out, let's go, he's going to do it now unto him that is able. To do exceedingly and abundantly above all the wicked. Honey, it doesn't. whatever you ask or think, God can do it. But it's according to the power that's not just in you, but it must be a power that you're allowing to work in you. And that all boils down to spiritual maturity. So listen, we allow God's Spirit in our lives and it becomes comfortable there because we're working in tandem with that Spirit and what it desires, we say, all right, go on and do that. We become rooted, we become grounded, just going right here through the Corinthian Scripture in love, we experience His love, thereby we're filled or controlled and dominated by all the fullness of God. Then, and only then, can He do exceedingly abundantly in our lives according to our submissiveness to that spirit that resides in us back up just for a moment I'm hastening to a close but if you go back to verse number 16 when Paul began this prayer that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might if you go down then to verse 20 where he says according to the power, the word might and the word power are the exact same Greek word. Paul wanted to strengthen you with might and with power and with ability because if he could get that working in your life, it would open up the impossible in your life and in the life of the church it would be beyond what you could ask and beyond what you could think. The Bible states this, Ephesians 3.21, it says, unto him, that is God, be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. The glory in the church is a church that has God in it, that has God comfortably in it, that has God operating in it, that has God functioning in it, As He sees fit and not just as they see fit. Matthew 5.16 says this and I'm hastening to a close. i got to keep my word here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works and do what? Glorify what? Your Father! Because what's happening in your life is not a result of your own means. It's a result of that Spirit. It's a result of that God that you've made comfortable in your life. That spiritual maturity that's taken place that dominates you that controls you. Stand with me tonight. In the end... God wants to present to himself what? Ephesians, as he says, a glorious church. He didn't just say a church. He said a glorious church. But the glory in the church is directly related to how comfortable we make God in the church. How comfortable we make God in our lives. When he dominates us, when he has full control of us, all the fullness of God will be expressed in the church and it will be a glorious church hallelujah if we bow our heads in this place tonight the glory of the church it's all about Christian maturity it's about Christian maturity it's about growing in God I know a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning I started even a series on Christian maturity I felt prompted in in my spirit to do so because I think it is incumbent upon us For God's people, not just to get Christ in them, but Christ would grow up in them. we got to get beyond just having the Holy Ghost, beyond just being baptized in Jesus' name. We need, it's necessary, it's imperative that we mature into that glorious church that glorious church. And in order for that to happen, there will be times we'll be uncomfortable with what God's desiring, wanting, and wishing, and asking of us in our own life. But if you want Him comfortable in your heart, you're going to have to bear the discomfort, friend, and just grow. Yes! The glory of the church is found in Him dominating and controlling our lives. Let's pray right now.